my god! My time machine actually worked! So, I started traveled three years into the future! And it... Oh god! Wait, is that my laptop? Wait, I started a podcast? I... I tried to steal back Cody Rhodes' dog! And I went... Super Saiyan? Twice? in 2020. Ladies, gentlemen, and lady gentlemen, welcome, welcome, or welcome back to the Wrestling With Fiction podcast. We're actually near the end of 2020. How did this happen? I, it's, it's weird what this past year has been. Not for just the world in general, especially if you're from the UK. Or in the world of professional wrestling. And you see it everywhere from WrestleTalk to Going In Raw to whatever your favourite wrestling channel is. About what is the best things to come out of 2020. And you know what? I feel the world needs more of that. So why not keep the train going? Also because you need content near the end of the year. But that's beside the point. We are going to be talking about my own sort of predictions for 2021 in the world of wrestling. What I think have been some of the breakout moments for certain wrestlers in the year. And just kind of my general MVPs, favourite shows and so on. So, without further ado, let's get to the more... Interesting part. What is going to happen in 2021? Like, wrestling's already been... A wild card for this year. You know, ever since the big COVID outbreak... Sort of... Early 2020... In which we had... The first ever no-fans Wrestlemania... It's fair to say that 2020's been kind of a wild card of a year. And it's for that reason why I think nearly a year on from that WrestleMania, we might get our first full live crowd. And I'm not talking like socially distanced fans, like how we're kind of getting with AEW or with Wrestle Kingdom this year. I'm thinking like a proper full crowd. And if I'm to guess a date, I kind of feel we're going to get it around, let's say, May or June time. Like, I mean, it's completely unpredictable. It's kind of related to wrestling, but it isn't related to wrestling. But honestly, imagine the moment, the minute that we're allowed to have full fans again. The crowds for a period of time are going to be absolutely ballistic. And I just... I can't wait for it. I think wrestling has desperately missed crowds. And whatever show is going to have a first ever sort of full crowded show, there's going to be some sort of big event happening. It doesn't matter what promotion we're looking at. WWE, NXT, AEW, New Japan, whatever one. The first chance that we're going to get to have that, it's going to be electric. To some extent... We might even have a wrestling boom again. 
just for the pure joy of having crowds back in arenas again. It doesn't matter what show you're watching. It's just, it's going to be special. But that's kind of my super sappy point out of the way. If we're going by promotions, I think... This is going to be a stupid prediction. But this is what predictions are for. I think McIntyre drops the title to Sheamus. I... I cannot see anyone else on the Raw roster beating Drew McIntyre for the WWE Championship at this point. There is nobody. Like, I don't believe that Keith Lee is going to take the belt off of Drew at this point. It's still kind of early for him. Uh, Miz and Morrison, now even with Miz getting the Money in the Bank contract back, still kind of feels odd. And apart from that, Randy Orton's tied up with The Fiend for God knows how long. It's kind of that thing where I feel like the only chance there is is with Sheamus. And I think that's kind of a... I think that would be an interesting run. If that were to happen. Because you can't imagine Sheamus is on his last legs of his sort of wrestling career at this point. Like the whole like history of his sort of spinal stenosis. Kind of similar to similar injury that Sting suffered from. I, I can easily see him potentially retiring at this point. Maybe after one last big run. In regards to other things in WWE... I think, oh, you can tell I really haven't thought about this that much. I'd say, I think Roman drops the title to Big E at WrestleMania. That feels like the stepping stone point that we're getting with Big E at the moment. Like him winning the IC title at Christmas. I don't believe he's going to have a long reign because I feel like there's a lot of stock in Sammy sort of taking the belt back. But at the same time, I don't know, because the IC title is a bit of a wild card at this point, sort of closing out the year. Because WWE, for the past couple of years, likes to have their Christmas title change. And they did it with Rusev, and it lasted kind of a short period of time. I wouldn't be surprised if Biggie loses the belt, and then goes on to have a singles feud with Roman. That's kind of, I think, my main consensus for, like, the top titles. I, God, I just see the tag titles coming together at some point. The tag division in WWE is so, I'd say gutted. Because of the sort of brand split that we have. Like, SmackDown has the Street Profits, uh, Rudin Ziggler, and potentially the Usos when they come back. And Raw, as far as I know, has The Hurt Business and The New Day. I think there's perfect value in Stoke if you just mix those two divisions together. So I think they're going to end up sort of bringing the tag divisions together next year. Just as a... I guess, you know, to kind of test out the waters. They're already doing it with women on the rosters. WWE seems to be really interested in kind of keeping more sort of like mixtures of people on the brands. Particularly during the early part of the pandemic era, where they had, like, SmackDown superstars go to Raw and vice versa. I can imagine them doing that again still. And as we're on the topic of moving people back and forth, NXT! I feel like that's a good segue. I think that, well, in terms of a big prediction, I think NXT 
might move to a different channel. I said it. I I think at this point it's probably the best move for NXT at this point. Just from the conceived history that we've had of NXT versus AEW, the Wednesday Night Wars, brother. It their best rating were when NXT and W and AEW were not competing. Financially and business-wise, I think it works better for both companies. You got AEW sort of proving itself as its own sort of standalone company, which I feel has done a good job this year. And you've got NXT kind of sustaining itself as a third brand. Because I feel like despite even winning at Survivor Series, this past year's kind of been a very difficult year for NXT. They've been really trying to find their footing with a lot of difficulties from COVID. Particularly just the Tommaso Ciampa-Johnny Gargano feud, if you can take your mind back to that. The women's division's rebuilt incredibly well there. Uh, they're starting to build up more people in the North American title division, like Leon Roth. I just... I feel there's something still missing with NXT. And I feel like the only way you're going to do that is if you don't have them compete with another company. So that's kind of my guess with that. AEW-wise? Oh, that's a... That's a tough one without going into breakout stars or MVPs, who I can kind of see. I think that the door's going to finally open. New Japan and WWE going to... Not WWE. <laughs> New Japan and New Japan... New Japan and New... Tra Jesus, Connor. See, it's so much of a forbidden door, I can't even say it. New Japan and AEW are going to have more of a working relationship. I'm not going to say a full working relationship, but more of one. We've already started to see it with Moxley and Jericho. I think at the midpoint of this year, we're going to start seeing it expanded with Omega and maybe even a Kota Ibushi match with it. I, I can definitely see that happening. I don't see a full-scale, like, territory-style... AEW is all elite wrestling because we conquer the world. I don't see it in that respect, but I definitely see more partnerships between the companies. Because if you look at some of the talent who's in New Japan, who also have been alumni of AEW, look at B Priestley, who also has is dating Will Ospreay. That's kind of a cool connection. You also have maybe some stuff in the UK scene with Sadie Gibbs who were mostly fired because of COVID and they were unable to sort of travel. I feel you can start to see those people slowly flood themselves back into the division. I think next year might actually be a breakout year for the AEW women's division. I think there's a lot of promise once the sort of pandemic ends and you get a bunch of this more foreign talent able to come back in. In terms of their tag division, I... I think the Young Bucks aren't going to lose the belts to FTR. But I reckon they'll lose it to Private Party. That's my guess. And not because I don't think FTR deserve the belts. Far from it. I just think that the way that AEW's tag division has been built, or it's slowly been building, I feel like there's two big pillars for the future, being the acclaimed and top flight. But... There's this very clear story that you can tell with a private party who 
were in the exact same position that Top Flight was. Where, in by a stroke of luck, they pinned the Young Bucks. Yet, over the past year, they've struggled to find their footing. And I think that they're the secret sort of, like, third pillar of that tag division that I think people have forgotten about because Top Flight and the Acclaimed have been such new rising stars in the tag division. I think they're secretly building up Private Party for that, having them being sort of taught under the Matt Hardy and him slowly turning heel. I can easily see Private Party joining alongside them. I think just from their change of look and their sort of demeanour, plus with the change of entrance music, it's definitely clear that they're due for some type of reinvention. That's kind of my main guess. We'll, we'll get into the AEW world title a little bit later. So that's kind of my main consensus of things I think will happen in 2021. They're not big things. So let's go on to... Let's go into some MVPs, shall we? And who better to start with, of MVPs, than the MVP of MVPs? MVP. In any other context, that would sound way more stupid than it is. And the reason why I think MVP is my MVP of the MVP is that he didn't just reinvent himself. He reinvented three other people's careers. Like, he essentially returned at the Royal Rumble, in case you don't remember that, was set to retire after having a match with Rey Mysterio, didn't retire, ended up having multiple partner associates, some good, some bad, then he got partnered with Bobby Lashley. Then he got partnered with Shelton Benjamin. Then they formed the Hurt Business. And then they formed it with Cedric Alexander. Then they just decided, we're just going to take all the belts now. We haven't had a, like, full faction title run since, well, not counting NXT, in the WWE level. Since it's either the authority or the shield, that's a long time. And with guys who a year ago weren't really doing anything, Cedric Alexander, you know, he hasn't shown this much character since the Cruiserweight Classic. Uh, Bobby Lashley, a year ago, we were f- a year or two years ago, we were thinking about his sisters. Shelton Benjamin was in a tag team with Chad Gable that people were thinking he might have been the replacement Jason Jordan. MVP, I don't know what you did, but you did the world a service. So thank you. And it's just showing how good they are as a team. I've really enjoyed the Hurt Business. I have not had much of an opportunity to talk about the Hurt Business. And I feel that's an injustice, so I'm talking about him now. Easily, one of the best factions of 2020. The one of the most dominant factions of 2020. They are closing out 2020 with pretty much nearly all the belts on the Raw roster, except the WWE Championship. And I know I said a few minutes ago I can see Sheamus beating McIntyre for the belt. You know, at this point... 
I wouldn't be mad if MVP goes for it. You know? I know it's stupid that you want to have just sort of people who almost retire go for the world title, and people can complain about that. But are we really going to complain with MVP? The man's earned it. Even if it's just for a shot at the world title. He's done pretty damn well. Well, better than I think most people could have ever imagined. He went from being just a silent pickup on the WWE roster to potentially being a backstage agent to having probably one of the best factions that WWE's had, not carrying NXT, in years. That is deserving of an MVP status. Absolutely. And whilst we're on the topic of Raw, Drew McIntyre. What a year that man's had. Like, from Royal Rumble to now, he has been the main event guy on Raw. Say what you want about Raw ratings, the company have trusted this man with everything. And they clearly see him as a ratings draw, which is something that very few people get. Drew McIntyre, of course, being the first ever, I guess, UK-born world champion in WWE? I could be wrong there, but I think he is. Which is a huge feat. He beat Brock Lesnar for it. He's had entertaining matches throughout the entire year, has been booked strong consistently. And on top of that, has probably been cutting some of the best promises he's ever had. Just by turning babyface. It's been such a, like, genuinely good babyface turn. And honestly, it's so refreshing to have a badass babyface as your sort of lead champion. It's felt like such a long time. And I think Drew's shown that you can have that and it can indeed work. You just gotta have faith in it. So, that's kind of another one. I'm only gonna touch on this briefly, because whilst I do think Roman Reigns right now is the MVP of SmackDown, he's only been there for half the year, but they finally turned him heel, guys! <laughs> they finally turned him! <laughs> what? How? Who thought it would ever happen? They got rid of the chest protector, they made him embrace his sort of uh, roots, I'm trying to keep this good, but I'm just gushing over the fact that Roman Reigns all of a sudden is now like the hardest act on SmackDown. Somehow, people like Roman now? What the hell happened? It's, it's so weird seeing Roman Reigns as a heel now. Because I feel that WWE's had this thing where they've constantly preconditioned us to accept him as a babyface. So now that he's being booked well as a heel, I kind of want to cheer him a bit. Not because he's, like, a good guy, but just because, like, they're finally booking him right. And I'm happy for him. And honestly, he's having probably some of the best matches of his career. His match with Jimmy Uso. Legitimately, such a good match. Both matches, fantastic. Some of the best character work that both guys have had. Hell, Jimmy Uso! May as well just slug him in there. He's... We're so used to seeing him in a tag position that seeing him in a singles role feels, it almost kind of feels a bit baffling. Not because he isn't a capable wrestler, absolutely not. 
But seeing him actually get competitive wins against AJ Styles, Daniel Bryan, uh, you know, uh, Baron Corbin. I'm saying Baron Corbin because he was another person who came to my mind. It's, it's really surprising. That was a shocking thing when they made the decision to have him challenge Roman. But I think in the long run, it's really paid off. It's fleshed out Roman's character. It's made Jimmy Uso look like a credible threat for a main title. And when Jey Uso comes back, they are going to be a freaking dominant tag team. Because then you've essentially insinuated that one of them is equivalent to sort of a main event title contender. I have no doubt that once the Usos come back, they're going to be taking the tag titles from the Street Profits. There is no other team who feels like they can come close to taking the tag titles from the Street Profits at this point. Because there isn't any other teams. Let's forget Baron Cor- Let's forget <laughs> Baron Corbin's faction. Let's forget about Dolph Ziggler and Bobby Roode. There's nobody else. There's nobody else. So those are the main people I can think of off of WWE off the top of my head. AEW, Orange Cassidy. Definitely Orange Cassidy. His, like, revolution match with Pac pretty much solidified him as a, as more than just a comedy act. And we've really seen it throughout the year, like his feud with Chris Jericho in the summer. Say what you want about the outcome of it after the feud, but... I think it cemented Orange Cassidy as having a potential sort of status in a higher end of the card. And it really showcased sort of what both men were capable of. You got a better side of Orange Cassidy. You started pushing him in more of a singles position. They made him sort of believable in the sense that he could win the TNT title on multiple occasions. His match with Brody Lee. His time limit draw to Chris Jericho where they pretty much made it seem like he was going to win the title. I could totally see Orange Cassidy maybe winning the TNT title next year. I know that may sound ridiculous at this point, but it feels like a possibility. Another guy, John Silver. I've talked to death about how much I love John Silver. I think if you've listened to my episode on John Silver, you'll know how much I gushed about the idea of John Silver. (laughs) And with everything that's happened, I feel like it's a better time to mention it. Uh, just the passing of Brody Lee. It's an absolute shame what's happened with Brody Lee in all seriousness. I can only really think about his family and just sort of all the members of the Dark Order have been involved with him and just sort of the impact he's made on the business. And one of the things that stuck with me just with it is the BTE skids. Like his final appearance. Which is just him sitting with John Silver. Just saying that he's done a good job. Now I'm not insinuating that this should be suggested for a storyline. Or any type of thing. I feel like that could be potentially inappropriate. I, I've i just realised as I've talked about this. I, I want to pay my respect to Brody Lee. And just sort of the respect he's done in the business. And how it's really helped elevate guys like John Silver and Alex Reynolds and Evil Uno and Stu Grayson, who a year ago, if we look back to the closing segment that closed out 2019 with AEW, that was an act that was dead in the water. 
And I'm not saying that lightly. Like, that whole angle pretty much ruined a lot of credibility for the Dark Order. The whole punching thing. The whole just sort of backlash of the comments of it. Brody Lee, I think, should be considered a breakout star for this, along with John Silver. His TNT title run pretty much cemented the threat of the Dark Order as a group. Pretty much solidifying it. And Brody only really had seven months in AEW. But it feels like a hell of a lot longer. And if there's anything to take away from Brody Lee, it's that I'm sorry I've gone this whole tangent with Brody Lee. It's that he did the one thing that many wrestlers cannot be able to say that they've done. It's solidify and unify the whole wrestling community. Uh, from uh, AEW fans to WWE fans to even New Japan fans. And really brought people together from all walks of the wrestling industry. And if that isn't a mark of someone who's an MVP, I don't know what is. So, from the bottom of my heart, rest in peace, Brody Lee, or John Huber. You're amazing, and you've made 2020 a year that nobody can absolutely forget. You've made it an unforgettable year. Thank you, Brody Lee. I've realised I've been on a huge tangent for it, and I apologise. I may have just brought this down a bit. So, I'm going to try and move on from that and talk about, well, other people who I could definitely see. I think a breakout year for this year has been Darby Allen as well. Like, his TNT title victory against Cody Rhodes has been one that I felt was incredible. It, if that was in front of fans... I can imagine the roof being blown off the place when he beat Cody Rhodes just a year long, actually a year plus of storytelling with him trying to become teen, not TNT champion, but just beat Cody Rhodes. I feel like that's been a good year for him. If I'm looking at other people, already talked about John Silver, Brody Lee, Dark Order in general. Uh... Who else? Hangman Page. There we go. I knew I forgot something. Talk about a year that Hangman's had. Just from all out last year to now. He's went from being a guy kind of in the Roman Reigns position. I don't think people have really acknowledged this, but it really did feel like Hangman Page was being slotted to be the face of the company. You know, if you remember back to the old press conference at you know, when they were starting AEW, where he was saying that he wanted to be the first champion and he was going to have this program with Pac. Then he won the Casino Battle Royal and then he was going to face Chris Jericho. And then he lost to Chris Jericho. And then ever since then, it's been strength to strength having some of the best matches weekly whenever he's been on television. His match with Wardlow was a very fun match. His thing with Kenny Omega, which left a lot of stuff on the table. Their tag match against FTR was absolutely incredible. I think, and I didn't put this in the initial part of predictions, I think Hammond Page wins the title at All Out next year against Kenny Omega. I can easily see this being the culmination of Hangman's sort of career in sort of AEW so far. It really feels like the bookend that you'd want with him, considering how... All Out has been a particularly unlucky pay-per-view for Hangman. 
his loss to Chris Jericho, his essential ending of the Elite with Kenny Omega against FTR, and his sort of manipulation. Everything seems to go wrong for him around that period of time. And if we're going with long-term storytelling and just sort of kind of a free-act structure, we've had the introduction of his goal with him pursuing the AEW world title against Chris Jericho, in which he failed. We've had the second act, which has really sort of tested his own friendships, tested it with the Elite, tested it with FTR, in which he ended up with nobody by the end of it. And I feel like the third act is him challenging Kenny Omega, Maybe even reuniting with Matt and Nick Jackson. Nick Jackson, Jesus. And then potentially winning the world title. I feel like that's going to be a very special moment when it happens. And I particularly feel like it's going to be all out. That's kind of my guess. And since we're on the topic of other people, in I'd say NXT and New Japan, I'm just going to slump them together because I realise I'm going pretty over time here. Uh, Shotzi Blackheart, I think, is definitely going to be pegged as a future NXT Women's Champion. This year has kind of been her kind of hosting year. Like, she was the host of Halloween Havoc. She was the host, not really, but she was a vocal point of the video packaging for War Games. And I think they're pegging her to be the future face of that division. If you look at how NXT's sort of chosen their champions, they've... Never really liked having the sort of plucky babyface since Bailey. Everyone else has kind of been this sort of badass type of babyface or kind of a despicable heel. And I think Shotzi Blackheart kind of fits the same mold as those sort of like challenges. I think that's kind of a good thing that they're going to be going for. So I can definitely see her kind of like breaking out in 2021. I think she's had a breakout year this year particularly with War Games and that whole build against Candice LeRae. I thought that was really good. Leon Roth has definitely had a good year, considering he went from being, an, being a nobody in NXT to winning the North American title. I think that's been a very good thing for him. Karrion Cross is another great example of a guy who just kind of came out of nowhere. Like, unless you saw Impact, he essentially became the doomsday of NXT. You can watch my thing on that if you want to. Cheap plugs. And he's just had a stellar year. I can easily see him going right back into the title picture and winning the NXT Championship straight away. Finn Balor, I think, has had a pretty good... Oh, Finn Balor, Kyle O'Reilly. I can't believe I nearly forgot this. Finn Balor, Kyle O'Reilly having a hell of a match. Kyle O'Reilly solidifying himself as the singles guy that we've been missing since Ring of Honor. Uh, Finn Balor kind of getting a chance to turn heel and really sort of express himself in kind of the Prince character. That's been very fun. Great years for both of them. I think New Japan-wise, Shingo Takagi. Definitely Shingo. He's had a set of killer matches since becoming never openweight champion and having those back-and-forth matches with Suzuki. His match with Okada was phenomenal. I think there's a lot of good signs for Shingo in the future. That's kind of my main New Japan guy, if I'm being honest. Will Ospreay, I'd say, somewhat of a breakout star this year, considering he's now sort of created his own stable with the Empire. I think they're grooming him to potentially be the IWGP Heavyweight Champion by next year. 
I think they're really starting to sort of gather members for him for this new sort of stable he's forming. I think that's definitely going to be something to watch in 2021. And, ooh, is there anyone else? I'll be honest, the pandemic and shows, I've kind of found it hard to watch New Japan. Show! There we go. Show. Show, I freaking love Show. He's being featured more in kind of more of a singles capacity, which I've been absolutely waiting for. Him against Shingo Takagi for the Never Open Weight title was absolutely fantastic. Him and the Best of Super Juniors getting a lot more time to shine. I'm very much looking forward to seeing what he's going to do in the future. And I've realised I'm kind of just sort of rambling at this point. So we may as well just get to my overall favourite shows of the year. Because I realised I went on this section really long. I went kind of sad with the Brody thing. Rest in peace, Brody Lee. And so let's go on to the next bit, which is the best matches, ladies and gentlemen. Favourite pay-per-views of the year. So, I might just go company by company like I've kind of done with each of these. So, WWE, Royal Rumble, definitely. Loved the Royal Rumble. Uh, Drew's awesome Royal Rumble match was pretty cool. Uh, the women's one, I felt was good. You did get some breakout sort of stuff from Bianca Belair in there. Uh, you also had some pretty fun title matches with like Becky Lynch and Asuka. Uh... Bailey once again, like, solidifying her, like, whole one-year status. Another breakout star that I completely forgot about. Frickin' Bailey, Frickin' Sasha Banks. That whole feud. 2020, if there's anything that's taken from this, has had so many great performances that have been stepped up in the pandemic. In general, so many, and I, I'm only really listing a few. Others... It's hard to argue not TLC. TLC was really good. Like, Roman Reigns versus Kevin Owens was a brilliant match. Probably the best Kevin Owens has looked in years. I'd argue since his, like, big heel run. Or his, like, stuff with, like, when he headbutted Vince McMahon. It's been a long time since Kevin Owens has had, like, a really good position. Uh, also, you had the awesome stuff with Sami Zayn. Kind of on the Christmas episode of SmackDown. I, I think Sammy's done amazing work. It's easily been some of his best sort of stuff in sort of a singles capacity. Along with that, also the tag title match that they had on there was really good. The Steel Cage match. There was a bunch of really good things on the Christmas episode of SmackDown. If you haven't seen it, go watch it. It's a fun show. Uh, I, I don't want to keep this too long, so I might have to just go to other things. I'm sorry. Uh... If not, I'll go to AEW Revolution and Full Gear, kind of my main two big AEW standout shows. I feel like Revolution's probably my favourite show of the year, in terms of just of a card top to bottom. Uh, first of all, the pretty much one of my favourite tag team matches of all time, uh, Hangman and Omega versus The Young Bucks, fantastic match. Uh, you also had John Moxley versus Jericho and John Moxley's big title win, which made him pretty much the face of the whole pandemic era with sort of carrying the world title for AEW. You also have the Orange Cassidy pack match, which was a surprise, I think, for a lot of people. The only thing that really takes it down for me would probably be Chris Jericho and not Chris Jericho. Uh, 
Goldust, not Goldust, Jesus, can't remember the AEW names. Dustin Rhodes and Jake Hager. There we go. That's kind of the one kind of iffy thing. Maybe also the Chris Statlander versus Nyla Rose, but Statlander was sick at the time. Full Gear, probably the best card top to bottom, even though I'm probably more biased towards Revolution. John Silver versus Orange Cassidy was a great sort of showcase of just sort of how if you can get yourself over, you're pretty, you can do anything in AEW. Uh, Eddie Kingston versus John Moxley, the great just sort of like rivalry that we had, which in many circumstances should have never happened in this company, but worked so goddamn well. Just sort of the promo battles between the two, the eventual match where you see Eddie Kingston have his first moment of weakness. You haven't really seen that with Eddie Kingston's character up until Full Gear. Uh, you also have the Hangman Omega match, which is just leaving so much room on the table. FTR versus the Young Bucks. Um, Hikaru Shida versus Nyla Rose, which is kind of a kind of a forgettable match, I'll be honest, but. It was still a very good match nonetheless, showing that the women's wrestlers can work. Use them more, AEW. I see you're starting to do that, but do it more. <laughs> Just overall a very fun show from both of those. Uh, if we're going by New Japan, I'm trying to think of specific nights of the G1, because that's always going to be one. I guess the final night with... Of course, Sonata versus Kota Ibushi is going to be up there. Uh, I'm trying to remember. I think it was night 12, night 13 with Shingo and Okada. Uh, ultimately, the final night of Block A, Osprey versus Okada was a fantastic show night. A lot of great standout matches there. I'm trying to remember all these off the back of my head. Wrestle Kingdom! God damn it! Wrestle Kingdom! Wrestle Kingdom 14, Osprey versus Takahashi. Fantastic match. Uh, freaking Kota Ibushi versus Okada. A Naito versus Okada, where Naito finally won the big one. Say what you want about the ending, but he finally won the big one. Uh, what else? The tag division. Juice Robinson and Finn Juice finally won the tag titles. David Finley finally won a title in 2020 for New Japan. Good for David Finley. Uh, trying to think of more, but my head is not working. <laughs> you know what? I think I'm going to leave it there. <laughs> it's It's been a crazy year for 2020, but I hope if you stuck around this long, Hearing me randomly try and do stuff is showing there's been a lot of positivity in the world of wrestling. Even though there's been a lot of ups and downs, a lot of chaotic things, I feel that we as wrestling fans have still been treated to some fantastic wrestling, fantastic performances. And I feel that that's only going to get better in 2021. I hope all of you, since this is kind of the ending part of this, all tune into AEW this week because it's the tribute to Brody Lee and it's going to be an awesome show. I'm I'm really looking forward to it. Just celebrating the career and life of Brody Lee, a guy who was so good sort of in and outside the wrestling world. So let's close the year on a high note, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you all for listening. 
I hope you all have a lovely day. Thank you all who have just started listening to this recently. Got me over to some brand new things. Thank you to all the people who I've met through making this podcast. Thank you to all the people who may just be tuning in for the first time. And from the bottom of my heart, thank you all for listening. And remember, everybody, wrestling can always use just a little bit more fiction. See you all. Good night, everybody. And Happy New Year!